Hi, this is Father Don Planty, pastor of St. Charles Borromeo Catholic Church in Arlington, Virginia. Welcome to the St. Charles Church Talks podcast. Good evening, everyone. This is a reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Ephesians. Grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift to equip the holy ones for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the extent of the full stature of Christ, so that we may no longer be infants tossed by waves and swept along by every wind of teaching arising from human trickery. Rather, living the truth in love, we should grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament with the proper functioning of each part, brings about the body's growth and builds itself up in love. The word of the Lord. St. Paul makes the distinction between Christian immaturity and maturity, between Christian childhood and Christian adulthood. And that is based on the growth of grace, the growth in grace. Grace builds on nature, however. They go together, right? Growth in the spiritual and supernatural virtues requires growth in human and natural virtues. If a person ages but remains immature in social interactions, in personal and in work habits, and in their manners, they will also remain spiritually immature. They won't develop the skills, the habits, the virtues necessary for a mature spiritual life. Consider, for example, what is done in seminaries with formation for the priesthood. Seminary formation is based on four pillars of formation, human formation, academic formation, pastoral formation, and spiritual formation. Which of those do you think is the most important, human, academic, pastoral, spiritual. Pope St. John Paul II said that the most important pillar of formation is the human formation, because you're not going to have good academic or pastoral or even spiritual formation unless you have the foundational human formation necessary to also grow spiritually. This is especially a challenge in today's world, in our society, that unfortunately in so many ways delays maturity, and I hope Uh, It's always present company excluded in this case. But, you know, once upon a time, there was no such thing as adolescence. Teens actually were apprenticed to masters. They worked hard. They served. They got married and had children at a younger age than many people do today. Keep in mind, for example, uh, Michelangelo Buonarroti, one of the greatest geniuses of all time, one of the greatest artists. Uh, He also wrote sonnets. He was a, a true Renaissance man, no pun intended, right? But Michelangelo was apprenticed to a sculptor at the age of 13. He carved his first sculpture, a relief sculpture, the Bruges Madonna, when he was 15. And he finished the Pietà, which is one of the probably top 20 most important sculptures in human history, when he was 24 years old. Ask yourself, how old am I and what have I accomplished in my life? He was 24 when he finished the Pietà. People learned virtues like responsibility, commitment, sacrifice, and hard work earlier in past ages. 
Now we have a term called adolescence, and the truth is our growth in the understanding of human development has brought us this necessary understanding of this phase between childhood and adulthood. That said, unfortunately now, adolescence seems to be prolonged and uh, the transition to adulthood seems to be put off by our society. This is seen especially in the college experience. And sadly, I've seen this in friends, in relatives. I've seen it since I was in college many years ago, right? Going to college is not seen as an opportunity for growing in virtue and in learning the truth, but about finally, you know, throwing off the shackles of being under one's parents' authority and being able to just do whatever one wants. And going to college means now one is free to party and hook up and indulge one's passions inordinately, right? And that now is, seems that, that delaying of adulthood, that, that prolonging of adolescence that goes through, through college now seems to creep into also what's called young adulthood. If you don't think party and hookup and the passion culture are part of young adulthood and extended in young adulthood in general in our society, I invite you to spend a few minutes in Clarendon Square on a Friday or Saturday night around 11 o'clock or midnight and tell me what you see. What you see is people who put off commitments to things like service to institutions, marriage, and getting serious even about religion and life. I gotta say, I think at times we also do a disservice, and I use this time, term all the time myself, but I think sometimes we do a disservice by using the category called young adults, as if we can't expect the same thing from them as old adults or more mature adults, right? Now certainly, adults are different at 25 than they are at 45 than they are at 65, but I do believe that sometimes we act at our own peril if we don't identify young adulthood with true, full adulthood. You are adults and capable of adulting. Mm -hmm. And so tonight I want to challenge you to consider the fundamental simple differences between childhood and adulthood and what it means for your spiritual life and your life in the church. Some of this may apply to some of you, some of it may apply to none of you, some of it may apply to an, all of you, but just a number of considerations about what it means to practice Catholic adulting. We can say that there are generally three differences between children and adults. Discipline, sacrifice, and service. Discipline first. Boys and girls, children are inconstant, right? They don't have discipline. They're undisciplined. They run from responsibility. They quit easily. They give things up, right? Men and women are constant, right? They're consistent. You can count on them. They've got the discipline to show up and be responsible and be committed to their commitments. Right? So in that regard, this, because of the lack of discipline, children can be no-shows, whereas adults show up for what they're committed to, right? Children aren't necessarily good at keeping their commitments. They're not waiting for a better offer, right? It's funny, though. Sometimes you see this extended again into young adulthood. If you look at Facebook pages and events on Facebook pages, you know you can have interest going, not going, interested. And what do you always see? You see like 10 people are going, 
maybe 30 people are not going and 150 people are interested, right? It's like, let's hedge our bets and wait and see what the better offer is that comes up at the last minute. So like, yep, this is something I'm interested in, this is something I'm committing to, I'm going. Or I've got something else happening, I'm not going, right? Children don't keep a regular schedule unless their parents force it upon them. But if it was up to them as children, they wouldn't go to bed at the right time, they wouldn't get up at the right time, right? You know how hard it is to get kids to go to bed and get kids to get up, right? They're not punctual, they're not really always good at communicating and answering the way that they should, right? That is not the case with adults who are committed to a regular schedule, they're punctual, and they're good and open in their communications, right, and honest in their communication. So children don't have discipline, adults have discipline. Sacrifice. Boys and girls, children just want comfort, right? They just want pleasure and to indulge the passions of the moment, right? Uh, they want what's currently theirs and they want it constantly, right? Whereas men and women will embrace duty, hard work, sacrifice, and balance, right? Children don't know these things. That's why they have to have parents showing them, telling them what to do all the time, right? Children want pleasure now and they want it all the time. There's no such thing as delayed gratification for children. It's something that they have to learn and be taught by adults, right? You may have heard of the marshmallow study before. I encourage you to look up the famous marshmallow study where they tracked children who were willing to, who had a choice either to eat the marshmallow and that's all they got, or they could wait five minutes and get a second marshmallow. And this exhaustive study over decades showed that the children that were actually willing to practice delayed gratification were much more successful in their lives in many different ways than those that weren't, that, had the discipline, that didn't have the discipline to, to wait and delay that gratification. Children want pleasure now and constantly, right? They don't, they don't, they always indulge their, the pleasures of the moments unless there's an adult there to tell them not to, right? Adults know the value of a present sacrifice for a future gain and the balance of work and pleasure. It can't just be all the pleasure of the moment all the time, right? Service. Children are self-focused, right? They, adults are focused on the needs of others. With children, it's all about them. They're not really concerned with the needs of others and they don't take care of others, right? That's why adults take care of children. Adults put others first and consider and act on others' needs. And this is something we see in morals and something we see in manners. And I'm fond of saying that the two really go together. In society where you have a good sense of morals, you'll also have a good sense of manners. And conversely, where morals are in a free for, are free for all, there are no manners as well. Why? Because both either show that we live for others and put others first and defer to others and serve others first, or we put ourselves first. Whether it's the way that we live by the moral choices we make or by the manners. Because manners show in a civilized society that we're willing to put the needs of others first and put ourselves second or last. Now, these may apply. I hope these don't apply because we're Catholic Christians here, but it's important for us to understand the context in which we live. Some of the definitive and, one, and the most definitive sociological study of the millennial generation, and this may apply to some Gen Zers too. One of the hallmarks of the millennial generation is that they are consumers, especially of experiences. So for example, Study after study has shown that if you offer a millennial a job where they can get more time off or higher pay, 
they'll take more time off over higher pay most of the time because it's all about experiences that they enjoy rather than necessarily money. Money and stuff isn't as important as experiences. That's why social media and like Instagram is so popular because people are always posting these awesome, beautiful, gorgeous experiences. They don't post themselves like throwing up in the bathroom after they got drunk, right? They, they post these beautiful hikes at the top of mountains or in these gorgeous places they're always going to, right? So millennials are consumers especially of experiences, right? But that can sadly at times affect their relationship with institutions, including religion and the church, right? The temptation for millennials is to flit from experience to experience to experience, and so to be a consumer. I go to P3 at St. Charles, I go to theology at Ta on tap in Alexandria, I go to the dance at this parish, I go to this social collective thing here and there, and from social event to social event to social event to social event, consuming, 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 experience, 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 rather than rooting in one place, giving, committing, serving. My friends, three differences between children and adults, discipline, sacrifice, and service. And the consequences of these three marks of adulthood for the spiritual life and for the life of the church is what I'd like to focus on now. And that is we can focus on these virtues of discipline, sacrifice, and service in three ways. I think it's important to have discipline and sacrifice to have a mature spiritual life, and it's important to have the spirit of service to have a good church ecclesial life. Right? So first, our spiritual lives. Discipline, fundamental adult and human discipline is essential for a deep spiritual life, right? Because holiness doesn't happen by accident. Right? We don't just sit at home in our chairs and expect to be holy. We have to be intentional about it and do our part about it. Of course, God's grace is always completely freely bestowed upon us, but we can, we can do our part to either close our hearts off to that grace or open our hearts to receive it. And so discipline is crucial to the spiritual life because by certain disciplines, by committing to certain practices, we are disposing ourselves, we are opening our hearts to grow in grace, grow in our relationship with the Lord. And that's two things especially, sacraments and prayer. Discipline for sacraments. Obviously, Sunday Mass is something we should take for granted, right? The Lord's Day, keep holy the Lord's Day. It's the third commandment. There are only 10 commandments, and they're in order of importance, right? The first three teach us how to love our Lord, and then the next seven teach us how to love our neighbor. Number three is to keep holy the Lord's Day. And I gotta confess, this is a personal, personal thing here. You know, everyone has their own struggles. Everyone has their own uh, challenges. Everyone sins in different ways. We all commit the same sins in some ways, but then every, everyone has their own things that are harder for them. And I, I got to say, as a priest, as a man, as a human person, as a Catholic, I understand, and having heard confessions for 29 years, I, I understand some sins. I do not understand for the life of me how people blow off mass. I can understand in some ways that people fall into other sins. But when Jesus asks for one hour a week in the holy place of his house of prayer with others and, and being nourished by his word and receiving his most blessed sacrament, I simply do not understand how people can blow that off and not have the discipline to at least go to one hour of church a week, right? But of course, 
I hope I'm preaching to the choir in that regard. But we have to be disciplined for the, to the sacraments, right? Celebrating, of course, the most blessed sacrament, the Eucharist at Mass, and then the beautiful sacrament of penance and reconciliation on a regular basis. But again, it requires a certain discipline. We can just sit at home and never go to Mass. We can sit at home and never go to confession. It requires a commitment to say, this is a priority for me. This is what is important for me. I'm going to make sure I go every Sunday to Mass. I'm going to make sure I go every week or every two weeks or every month to confession. Discipline. And discipline for scheduling and spending time with Jesus in prayer. If you've ever heard me talk or preach at all in the last uh, 29 years, you know that this is a constant refrain of mine because it's really what separates the men from the boys and the women from the girls in the spiritual life. It's what makes for saints is quality time with our best friend Jesus in prayer. Right? But that requires a certain discipline, right? It requires a certain discipline to get up earlier in the morning so you can pray before you begin your busy day or to stop in the middle of the day or at the end of the day before you go to bed. It takes discipline to say, I'm going to carve out quality time with my best friend Jesus. If we can be disciplined about our work schedule, if we can be disciplined about going to the gym, if we can be disciplined about social time we spend with our friends and budget them and schedule them in, we can be disciplined about our time with Jesus. If we don't have the basic discipline to live the sacraments and to spend quality time in that heart-to-heart -heart conversation with Jesus, which is serious mental prayer, we're not going to be spiritual adults. We're not going to grow in grace. Discipline. Then there's the virtue of sacrifice. Sacrifice especially for penance, right? Penance is an essential part of the spiritual life and of growing in virtue. Why? Because when we do penance, we are focusing less on the material world and focusing more on the spiritual. By doing penance and depriving of ourselves of material things and our passions that are not necessarily bad things, right? Good things like chocolate or beer or wine or whatever it might be, or screen time, right? By doing penance and depriving ourselves of good things, we're focusing on even better things, which are spiritual things, right? And so the sacrifice uh, in terms of being strong and fasting and abstaining from things that we like, uh, that is something that unbelievers don't do, right? It's people that don't believe in the gospel and don't believe in the importance of penance that just indulge their passions and eat and drink and do whatever they want and whatever they feel like at any time, right? Do we live the same way that unbelievers do? Do we indulge every passion every time? Mm -hmm. Any attachments that we have to worldly things and certainly any sins keep us from growing in love of God and love of neighbor. Keep us, growing, keep us from growing in faith, hope, and love. So it's never sacrifice for sacrifice's sake. Like in Lent, I always preach on Ash Wednesday, it's never giving stuff up for the sake of giving stuff up. By giving stuff up, by freely choosing not to indulge in material things, and by practicing penance, we are focusing our heart, we are freeing ourselves from those attachments and sins, and focusing our hearts more on what is spiritual. We're growing into mature Christian adulthood. So discipline and sacrifice are essential for the spiritual life. And then that other virtue I mentioned, service, which distinguishes adults from children, is essential to our life as Catholic Christians and our life in the church. And I'm going to focus especially on service to our parish, right? That is, Focus on our service to others by committing to our parish and service in and through our parish. And in this, to, to kind of counter that consumer mentality 
And that is not to flit from church event to church event and church social to church social, but to really find ourselves rooted in our parish home and there finding our spiritual home and our spiritual lives, right? Rather than going from parish to parish and what is convenient and what we want to consume and receiving here and receiving there and receiving this there and receiving this at this church experience, it's important that we commit to giving, that we commit to service. When we come to church, are we about social or are we about service? You can have both, but it should never just be one without the other, of course, right? After our families, the fundamental unit of the church is the parish, right? And the church in her infinite wisdom has divided the whole world up into parishes. Think about that. On every square inch of land on the globe, someone has been assigned by the Catholic Church for the spiritual care of the people that live on that, in that square inch or square mile, right? The whole church has been divided up into dioceses headed by bishops, and those dioceses are subdivided into parishes headed by parishes. And the church is saying, to provide for the spiritual needs and sustenance of the faithful, wherever they find themselves, here is a shepherd who is to take care of them. And this is their spiritual home where they are to find what they need, but also to contribute and serve, right? Are you always looking for what the church can do for you and give you? Or do you ask yourself, what am I doing for my church? What am I giving to the church? Concretely, what am I doing for my parish church? How am I serving? And this can happen in three ways. First of all, are you registered in and attending your territorial parish, the parish which, where you live, which is the parish the church has assigned to you to be your spiritual home? Domicile determines parish. Right? Where you live determines what your parish is. Have you registered in your parish? And do you regularly attend mass there? The parish is not the place you kind of pick and choose according to your consumer mentality, but the church that, it, that, the, that, the, that the, church, the church has provided for you. Of course, you can go anywhere for mass. No one is checking anyone's ID or residence at the door of the church, right? But make an effort to make your parish your true spiritual home. Not to mention the fact that when you need proof that you're a practicing Catholic so you can be a godfather or godmother for baptism or confirmation, or you need to get married or become a priest, you need to have proof of being a faithful practicing Catholic in a parish and get the documentation from your parish. So the first question regarding service in your parish is, are you registered in your parish and attending your parish faithfully? The second question in that regard, regarding your parish relationship is, are you volunteering in your parish? There are 168 hours in the week, right? 124 times 7 is 168. God asks for one hour of public worship on Sundays through the church. You got 167 hours the rest of the week to do whatever else you need and want to do. Sleep, eat, work, party, whatever. Surely you could spare one other hour a week to serve the mission of God's holy church to advance the gospel where you live, right? The parish does many things for you. It offers you sacraments, it offers you formation talks, it offers you occasions for prayer, it offers you a place to come and pray. What are you doing for your parish? Concretely, specifically, day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out. My friends, your parish needs you. The more a pastor and a parish staff have parishioners that are willing to volunteer and help serve the mission, the more we can grow the mission. 
the more we can evangelize, the more we can do in our parish neighborhoods, the more we can reach out and the more people we can bring in and the more the church advances her mission. It is music to a pastor's ear when you go up to him and say, Father, uh, I'm new to the parish or this is my parish. What do you need help with? Put me to work. What can I do for you? How can I help serve and advance the mission of our parish to be the face of the gospel in Arlington or Manassas or Alexandria or McLean or Falls Church or Maryland or Ethiopia or wherever it may be, right? What are you doing for your parish? Your parish needs you, whether your skills are IT or maybe finance or even just you want to help, help the poor through the food pantry. Everyone can help in some way, if not in several ways. So register and attend your parish faithfully. Volunteer in your parish. Contribute to the financial support of your parish. Right? One of the precepts, one of the five fundamental precepts of the church is all Catholics have the duty to provide financial support for the church and her mission. Right? Good way to consider that is compare what you give to your parish church to what you spend on non-essentials, including and especially social things, right? You know, if you do the calculus of those, you know, $5 coffees or the ridiculously priced, you know, $14 cocktails or the ridiculously priced, you know, tacos or whatever, whatever you're consuming during the week and you compare that to how much you're giving to the needy or to your parish church, it can add up at times, right? I always do an annual, our diocese asks us to do so, and I'm always uh, happy to do so because I believe in the mission of my parish and the mission of the church, and that everyone is, re, everyone is responsible for supporting that mission with their time and with their treasure, right? Every year I do a parish offertory appeal in the fall at my parish, and one thing I mention to my parishioners every year is if every registered parishioner in my parish gave to the parish every month at least what they were paying for their cell phone service every month, I would never have to get up and ask for money again. Is that an inordinate amount of money for you to give to your parish church? And I'm not, I'm not assuming you all are St. Charles people, right? I know people come from all over. Could you afford to give to your parish church at least what you're giving to the cell phone company every month? If every member of St. Charles Parish did that, I'd never have to ask for money again. But every year I say the same thing, unfortunately, right? Commit to giving a sacrificial, that is something that really costs you, it's a hard to do. Fixed, that's a set amount. It's not just what happens to be in your wallet or purse that week. Constant, regular financial support to your parish, whether you're there or not. And that's why e-giving is so great for parishes. You commit, you say, I'm going to give this much per week or this much per month, and then you let it go. And you're forcing yourself to be generous. And if you're on vacation or at the beach or you're on a business trip, still your parish is getting your donation to help support the mission, to help advance the gospel. Your parish needs your financial support to accomplish its mission. My friends, all of us, because of our fallen human nature, want to procrastinate holiness. We want to procrastinate growing up. I still find myself tempted to act like a child at times, if not every day, right? We all want to put responsible Christian adulthood off. Even St. Augustine famously prayed, Lord, make me chaste, but not yet. Of course, he prayed that before his great conversion, right? I challenge you, my friends, to embrace Catholic adulting if you haven't already. Again, I hope I'm preaching to the choir. If not, grow up. Don't put it off. Embrace Catholic adulthood, spiritual maturity, through discipline, 
sacrifice, and service, discipline for daily prayer, weekly mass, and frequent confession, sacrifice for penance like fasting and abstinence, service by registering in and attending your parish and offering your volunteer time and your financial gifts in support of her mission. My friends, we all seek Christian perfection. We are all seeking to grow, and that happens continually throughout our lives. But growth means change, and change is tough because we like to kind of stay the way we are, right? But as St. John Henry Newman said, Cardinal Newman, to be perfect means to have changed often. To be perfect means to have changed often. Let us ask ourselves, how can I grow in Christian perfection by changing and growing into more and more Catholic maturity and adulthood as I grow throughout my life. Let us pray, prayerfully consider these things, and then let us work for concrete change in our lives through discipline and sacrifice and service. So as St. Paul says, we'll no longer be immature children kind of rocked by the waves, but truly become mature and adult, committed, faithful Catholic Christians. Amen. Thanks for joining us today, and please remember to subscribe, and if you enjoyed our show, give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. May God bless you.